I was thinking this week, and, and it's been in the news a lot, about just something about like managers, middle managers. Uh, they have it really hard these days. Um, there's the whole thing of the pandemic and you know, people working from home, uh, folks are quiet, quitting. Uh, there's all these viral videos about uh, aggressive customers, rudely demanding satisfaction. Uh, they are often called Karens, uh, no offense to real Karens in the world. Uh, managers get called out on social media. I've seen videos uh, making the rounds uh, about, you know, I had told my boss off, you know, quit right here online, here's the video. Um, all that, right? And so it might not be encouraging when I tell you that in our passage today, the Lord basically calls every one of you to be a manager. Oh, look, the light came on. That must mean something, right? The light. Thank you. Yeah, we are all called to be managers. And I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes there are a lot of those aggressive customers. Uh, sometimes I feel like people are quiet quitting. Uh, sometimes I, I need to be called out on whatever. Uh, but God does call us, as we look today at 1 Peter, we're in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It might not be encouraging on the surface that God, God calls each of us to be a manager, but when he does that, he gives an understanding he gives us priorities. He gives us a focus. And for, in fact, for, for you to understand that, that you are, in a sense, called to be a manager and for you to recognize what you manage and how you are to manage it and even why, that's a key not only to your own spiritual fitness, which has been our theme now and will be for a few more weeks, our own spiritual fitness it's also a key to the future of this church community, that each one of us would recognize how we are to manage and what it means for God to call us as managers in this life. So as we think of those things, please turn with me in God's Word to 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. This is God's Word. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards or managers of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. It is trustworthy and true. We pray you would meet us here. And show us, Lord, how, how we are to be good stewards, to be managers, and what we are to manage. 
And Lord, even, even why? Meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it might not be encouraging within our current context, uh, socially and in the world, to know that you're a manager. But it is what God calls us to do. It is who he's calling you to be. And what would help you to realize, I think, is that the key to being a good manager is to understand what you're supposed to do and why you're supposed to do it and how you're supposed to do it so that when someone comes and starts yelling at you for this or that, that, that you are ready, that you understand and you can own the things you need to own and you can let go of the things you need to let go of, that you could know what you're about, your purpose, that you could have those strong convictions to withstand the heat or whatever it might be in your life. Because in the midst of calling you as a manager, God gives great clarity for your purpose. In fact, our passage today says basically that God shares power with you so that the nations will make much of him. God shares power with you so that the nations will make much of him. The Bible calls that glorifying God. And we saw it in our passage as we just read it. If you skip the middle part and we just read the beginning and the end, listen, verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it serving one another so that, at the end of verse 11, in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That that's the call. That's what God is, is about. He's saying use your gifts wisely. The Bible calls that stewardship. You could call it today, probably if we were translating that word now out of the blue, we'd say management. That you're responsible like a manager for something. What is, it, what is the something that you're responsible for? What does he say here? As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, verse 10 says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You have been entrusted with grace. And, and he links that with gifts. That God has graced you, given you, gifted you in a special way that now you're a manager of that grace of God. That you are steward. You've been entrusted with something. With a special gift. And in other words, the gift equals a grace. And the words are very closely related in the Greek. Sometimes the word for gift actually just means grace. You've been graced. You've been gifted. God has called you. And so you must align your God-given gifts with the purposes of God. Only then, only then, with that other focused ministry, will you shine with respect to the church as a whole? This is true. And with respect to you as an individual, this is true. That we align our gifts with the purposes of God to shine to the nations. That's the emphasis. And the question then is, well, how, how do you do that? How do you align your gifts with God's purposes? How do you manage God's grace that's been entrusted to you. Well, one of the best things to do is to plan, to think ahead. And so let's do that right now. I'm going to give you three aspects of aligning gifts 
the grace of God that we might serve Him and steward what He's given to us. So the first one is this, serve practically. Serve practically. Meet real needs. Look at verse 11. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Whoever serves, the word there for serve is, is the same one from which we get our word deacon. It's the verb form of diakoneo. It's a verb. Whoever is deaconing, you could say, and that would be not quite a good translation. Whoever's serving, it has a sense of, of waiting, of, of ministering, uh, in, in Acts chapter 6, we see this played out. There were widows in the church. There were two different ethnic groups in particular. One was neglected in the giving of support, and distributing food and financial resources. And so there was a problem, and they, the way they dealt with this was to say, we need some folks to serve these widows. We need a system. We need a structure. And that's what they did. They, they created what we would call today is the office of deacon. To say there are folks that God has particularly set apart to lead in the meeting of physical needs. And today we often call those deacons. But every one of us, Peter is saying, have this sense. As some of us are more particularly called to this ministry of serving, of meeting real needs. Most often physical, financial, tangible need meeting. And it takes effort. You need strength. In this sense, there is physical strength, ability. It takes effort to, to get groceries for someone, to take somebody to a doctor's appointment, to even make phone calls, to fix a leaking roof, to help someone pay bills or make a budget. These, these are things that require some effort. And that's the kind of service of practical need meeting that's in view. Very often behind the scenes more than up front. It's where you see these things happening. So as a church, thinking of all of us together, one of the ways that we serve practically and meet real needs is by having things like English as a second language, as a ministry, where we come alongside people to help them learn English, that they might function in our society, in our culture, more effectively. We also have a preschool that's designed to help Children, mostly coming from homes where English is not the primary language, to not only learn English, to not only learn uh, how to adapt, but to prepare for kindergarten and the rest of their educational experience in the United States, and even for the rest of life, as we give them much more than that. But that is what we're doing, and we'll talk about some of the other aspects in a minute. But to meet those practical needs, those real needs, we, this year for Kids Fair, our Halloween alternative, when we give some space and give out candy and we have some fun games so kids can come while they're all dressed up and be in a safe place. It was, it was especially relevant to me this year to think what a blessing that is just in a practical, serving people way. It was such a rainy night, miserable night. I'm thankful Pastor Dave and Nancy said we should come inside. I was like, no, no, it'll be fine. They were right. It rained. It rained so much, they postponed the World Series that night. Do you remember that night? And what happened? The kids could come inside 
What, what a simple thing. But can, as a parent, that's, that's wonderful. If that's important to you to have your kids dressed up and have fun, we offered that and more. And we'll talk about the more in a minute. But those kind of meeting real needs, serving practically, is something we can do as a church in those ways. What about you individually? How can you do that? Well, one of the ways, most likely, is going to be related to what you're most interested in. Most of us have particular uh, ways of serving people that, that resonate with us, that we're most interested in, most passionate about. They're probably particular needs that, that you see and feel like they should be met. There are probably particular needs that you see and you're like, I'm just going to do this. I think this needs to be done, and you go and you do it. Those kinds of things in your own life, this, look for the passions that you have. Look for the ways that you're already serving in any area of life. It could be at work. It could be at home. It could be on the street. It could be here in the church where you are meeting real needs. And recognize that, hey, maybe I'm gifted in this area. That's okay to say. And if you're not sure if you are or not, ask someone who sees you doing those things, someone who knows you. We were just talking about this with the youth and, and the idea that, you, you know, there's, there's some ability that's present and sometimes we dismiss what we're good at because it's like, well, I've worked hard, I've practiced. Or I had the training and it's not, it's, you know, don't ever say it's not a big deal. And when someone says, I really appreciate you doing that or you're doing something, and I think that's a gifting, consider it. Be encouraged in that. That you're meeting real needs. Serving practically. Of course, merely meeting needs of others, especially in the physical needs, that's necessary, but that's not sufficient. Another aspect of stewarding the gifts, the grace of God, Peter tells us, is to speak personally. Managing God's grace is not only serving practically, but speaking personally. Personally, Look what he says in verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking utterances of God. He's saying that there's, a, there's real relationships going on here. And the obvious one is with God, right? You make real relationships, and you have to make a real relationship with God if, if you are going to be speaking as one who is speaking the utterances, the words, the message of God. You, you, you aren't going to speak on God's behalf if, if you don't have a, a real relationship with God. It reminds me of, um, of that scene in the first Frozen movie. Uh, the one princess, I think it was Anna. My daughter will correct me later if I got this wrong. Uh, but she's, they have this big party and there's princes and kings and royalty from other places come and they want to marry the two princesses, right, or whatever. And, uh, and this one, Anna, makes a relationship with uh, this other prince guy. And they fall in love, right? And, and they, they think they're made for each other. They think they have a real relationship. And they're singing this song after having known each other for a couple of minutes. And, and they say that one line. And this is one of the best lines when you think about it. Uh, we finish each other's... It should be sentences, right? It should be, we finish each other's sentences. That's what you're expecting. But the guy, the prince says, sandwiches. <laughs> and he's eating a sandwich right there, right? Like, that's just such a good line to say, this is not a real relationship, you know? Friends should be going, warning signs, warning signs. You know? 
when you have a real relationship, and it's not instant, but growing over time, you can finish each other's sentences. You probably have permission to finish each other's sandwiches, but you finish each other's sentences. You, you know what the other person is thinking. Uh, my best friend growing up, I knew him from third grade onward. We were college roommates. We, we joked that we shared a brain. We only had one brain between us. And we shared it. I got half, he got half. And we would be able to finish each other. I mean, we'd just crack each other up, laughing really hard, just looking at each other, experiencing something in life, knowing exactly what we were thinking. Wouldn't even have to say it. Because we had a real relationship, time spent together. Right? That's, that's the view that you have to have with God. If you want to be able to speak as one who is speaking the utterances of God, you have to have a real relationship with God. Because you're called to speak to others. He says whoever speaks, and it's not just into the air, it's to other people. If you want to speak about spiritual things, managing the gift that God has given to you, you have to have a real relationship with God because that comes out of you when you speak. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 12. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Just that last part. What, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 12 is not that you're going to be judged because of your words. The sense is your words are going to demonstrate that you had a real relationship with God or not because of what's coming out. That your words will vindicate that you are in a real relationship with God. If stuff's not coming out that honors God, then you might not have a real relationship with God because God transforms us from the inside out. And one of the most obvious ways he does that is changing what comes out of our mouth. Sometimes he saves us and just instantly cleans up our vocabulary cuss words and some of that stuff goes away and other stuff though it lingers and we fight it so that would include repenting of the things that are wrong right that can come out of our mouths i'm sorry i said that i'm sure it hurts you those kind of things from that real relationship with god your relationship with others changes right if you have a real relationship with god if, if you are trusting in jesus and what he has done it transforms you and it changes your relationships with other people, the way you interact with other people. Because speaking the utterances of God is more than telling Bible verses to people. Now, we've all seen people shouting angrily various Bible passages, right? Not super effective. There are people who use horrible language to judge people, yet spout Bible verses. That's not speaking as one uttering the words of God. If your heart is transformed, you will grow 
in speaking to other people the way that God speaks to you, the way that God speaks to everyone. Those who sin and those who are right with him, those who are his enemies and those who want to do what is right. You just think about the the fall, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, right? God said, don't do this, they do that. God, who is the all-knowing, all-seeing, the one who exercises dominion over all things, he comes to them, and what does he say? He says, Genesis 3, verse 9 and verse 11, basically says, so what happened? Why were you hiding? Who told you you were naked? He asks questions. He, He knows what's up. He's having a relationship, treating them with value, respecting them. After the first murder, Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, verse 10, God comes to the murderer and says, hey, where's your brother? This is the way God treats people. Jesus says to his followers on the the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, after they don't get the fact that he said this numerous times, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again, and they're just like, oh, it's terrible. It's the worst day ever. Jesus died, and it's just like this, the end of the world. Nothing good is ever going to happen. The sun's never going to shine again. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what they said. But he comes to them in that midst, and he says, so what are you guys talking about? Luke 24, 17 and 19. Earlier on in Matthew chapter 16, he had his disciples together, the the core group that he has, and he says, who do people say that I am? And they answer, John the Baptist, some say this, and he says, who do you say that I am? Jesus draws people out to his enemies. Jesus says in Matthew 22, verses 41 to 45, whose son is the Messiah, he says to his enemies. Whose son is the Christ? Earlier in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, he says, getting angry at the hardness of heart, yet still seeking to bless, Jesus says to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they, those hardened in heart, kept silent, looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. In the midst of frustration and anger, in the midst of his enemies and those who oppose him, in the midst of his people, God reaches out. God asks questions. God builds real relationships. And so should you. That we want to make a, a real relationship with God and we want that to flow into our hearts that we would make real relationships with others. Historically, in the history of the church, in the New Testament church, we've called this the priesthood of believers, of all believers, that there is no longer a separate order of priests. I am not a priest any more than you are a priest. In other words, we're all priests. First Peter chapter 2, the book we're looking at today, he says in verse 9 of chapter 2, you are a chosen race, talking to all of God's people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
that God has made you his own possession, brought you close to himself, not so that he could keep you and coddle you and hold you real tight, which he does, but so that then he could send you and let you loose on the world to proclaim his own excellencies, that you would say, look what God did for me. That ought to be the greatest thing that we are speaking and declaring, our own testimony of how God has worked in our lives. And if we have a real relationship with him, we're going to see that. We might need the rest of the community to help us see it sometimes. That we would know, oh, this is how God... And we ought to do a better job of encouraging one another in that way, because he continues in 1 Peter 2, 9, verse, uh, 1 Peter 2, 10, For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy or grace, but now you have received mercy or grace. You've been graced. You've been gifted. God has blessed you. There is absolutely a place for distributing tracts, for more confrontational engagement in a respectful way. God is in a relationship with every single person on the planet, whether they acknowledge it or not. We have a ground to be able to interact with everyone about God's claim upon their lives. There is a place for that. There's also a limit to that confrontational, super direct approach. I don't think it's overstating it to say it is almost always better to speak in the context of a real relationship than to confront someone you barely know. There's a place for it. I'm not saying don't ever do it. And here's the thing. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You can build a relationship quickly with someone. It starts with your heart. Do you actually care? Do you want what's best for this person? Are you there because you want to speak the utterances of God because God has gifted you and called you to this? Or are you there because your parents made you come? Like we were talking about with the fast thing, right? Were you, were you, were you arm twisted and guilt manipulated into being there? That's not going to go well. No one wants to be served by someone who doesn't want to serve them. It just feels yucky. You both feel gross at the end of the day. But you can build relationships quickly. We have people here in this church who do that on a regular basis. Danton Barr, Wally Ahmad, Dennis Kays and our own Shibu Uman who went out to do evangelism explosion as a ministry. They, it's amazing. They build relationships quickly, and it starts with a heart that actually cares about the people they're talking to. I mean, they can be on an elevator ride and get deep in conversation with someone that they don't know, never met before. That's what I'm talking about. But if you have a judgmental attitude, if you're, if you're thinking of other people as just targets, if, if you're there for some other reason, then you want to build a relationship with them. You want to share what you have as your relationship with the Father. It's, it's not going to work. God stoops down to us and he makes a real relationship with us. He's interested in us. He cares about us. So we, we, are, we are called to manage those gifts by making real relationships with other people, rooted in a real relationship with him. And that can look like hitting the streets and doing street evangelism. It can look like you sharing your faith with your next-door neighbor who, who you borrowed some tools from and now you're taking them back and they seem like they're sad. You know, that 
Those are both parts of real relationships. And I want to encourage you that we have that Share Your Faith workshop coming up at the end of March, the 25th. And one of the things it does is give you a very simple tool that you would be able to speak the utterances of God, apply this passage. You would learn a simple outline that just matches the fingers of your hand. And I hope you're not thinking, oh, well, that's you know, just for people who are going to go out on 69th Street. It's for every single person to have a framework to understand the gospel, to be able to speak what God would have people to hear in ways that, that build relationship. You know, one of the things that it does is ask questions. If you come to join this church, we're going to ask you two questions. You know, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for sure if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Well, we ask another question. If you were to die today, we don't want that to happen, but you know, another's a guaranteed another minute. If you were to die today, and Jesus were to say to you, why should I let you head into heaven? What would you say? Those are important questions for so many reasons. One of them is, I just want to hear your answer. I don't want to tell you something you already are trusting in. I don't want to tell you, I don't want to address someone I think is a legalistic person when they're actually having some other issue. There's a diagnostic. There's a relationship. We're actually treating people as a human being by asking those questions and seeing where they're at. And you can do those skills. You can build them in a short amount of time. And you can have those conversations. I've asked every one of my kids those questions at some point in their lives. As part of a real relationship. So please consider coming out, share your faith. You'll learn how to, if, if, if you're interested, we'll, we'll go deeper in the weeks after that. Learning how to craft a real short testimony. You know, within a minute or two, be able to just share a little bit about yourself with other people about what is God, God is doing. You might make real relationships with God, with other people. You might speak personally. Not only that, you might serve practically. But not only that, you might also, our third point, shine powerfully. That you might shine powerfully. That you might to use somewhat of a loaded phrase these days, that you might manifest the real God. I wanted a word with an M, and I said, well, some people have this idea of manifesting as some sort of spiritual uh, self-determination, a positive thinking. This is real manifesting, whatever you think of that, that you would manifest the real God. That's what he's calling you to do, that you would make him real, make him visible. That's the point, that you would shine powerfully. Look at verse 11. It's not your own words, but God's words. Whoever speaks to do so is one is speaking the utterances of God. It's not your own strength. Look again. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that you, God leaves an impression, not you, that God's presence is felt so that it says, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, that the very weight of God's existence, the reality that if you have a relationship with him, you know and believe in and put your confidence in that that God would be real in the lives of people around us. That's how you shine. That people have a sense that there is more to it, that it's not just you. 
that their hope and confidence would be in the real God. And the way God brings that about is through you. You managing the grace that he's given to you. Individually, us as a church, managing the grace, the gifts that God has given to us. Because God deserves nothing less. He is the one to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And he's going to use you as each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's not some, but each. It's not bought, but received. It's not earned, it's unmerited, it's a grace. It's not any old gift, but an anointing, a pouring out of the Spirit of God upon you as a special gift, not for yourselves, but employ it serving one another. It's not a mere duty, it's a sacred trust as good stewards. That's what God is calling us to. I think one of the biggest barriers we have to shining powerfully, of manifesting the real God in our lives, is that we make it about anyone besides God. You will not shine if it's about you. You will not shine if it's about your church. You will not shine if it's about me. You will not shine if it's about your parents. You will not shine if it's about anything other than God. Using the gifts he's given you when you serve or speak. Because if you do that out of guilt... This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I have to do. Or if you do that out of manipulation because someone applied a lot of pressure to you, you're not going to shine. You might burn brightly very briefly, but you will burn out and you will fade. You will feel unappreciated and overworked. On the other hand, When you serve or speak out of a sense of God's calling, for God's glory, for the good of others, you will experience joy and zeal even when you get physically tired and exhausted. Even though outwardly you might be wasting away, inwardly you will be renewed. It's a very interesting thing that happens, that dynamic. I experienced it last weekend. Big build-up to our annual meeting. A lot of work to do, making videos and reports and all kinds of things, problems with copiers, right? all these kind of things coming together until the meeting itself. Pastor Dave's got COVID. <laughs> week before that, I had COVID. A couple weeks before that, like all these things, right? all this feeling, this pressure, all these things to do, all this activity leading up to it. Sunday afternoon after our meeting, I went home. I napped for like two hours. I did not have any trouble getting to sleep that night either when I went to bed at like 10.30. I was physically exhausted. I woke up early Monday morning. I went into the office early 
Monday morning. And I thought, I'll just put together some of the notes. I'll capture the things that went well with our technology and remember it before I forget, you know. Here's some notes. And I wound up looking at our plans and going over the ministry things and like, oh, yeah, well, here's some things we could do. And I started, hours passed. And I was energized. Renewed inwardly, spiritually. Even though Don't take this the wrong way. Even though there were only about 50 people here in the building for the meeting, even though I know the statistics on how many people have looked at the videos, even though, and I'm not saying that to to guilt you, I'm saying that because even in, and that's, you know, as, as preachers, as pastors, you know, we were like, oh, you know, attendance, oh, anything statistics. You know, there's like so little of our lives and our ministries that we can quantify, right? And say, oh, you're doing a good job or not. So we want to look at those numbers and all. But I can tell you, even when the numbers are down, if I am in a place spiritually, my attitude where I'm, I'm, I'm living for God and doing what I think he wants me to do, I don't get discouraged. And I, don't, I want that for you too. And one of the challenges for us as a church, as a congregation, is to recognize that, you know what? To shine very often requires us to be in a dark place. Sometimes we personally have to get to a dark place before the revival comes and the light starts to burn again. Other times we're we're on fire for the Lord, but it's pitch black around us. But that is the call. That is the call. We, we, we don't shine and it's all about us and it's just all happy, happy, joy, joy, unicorns and rainbows. We serve in the pattern of Jesus Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He sacrificed. And following him is a sacrifice. There will be suffering, but you will shine darkest in those places. I mean, you'll shine brightest in those dark places. And it seems relatively simple. This pattern. Serve practically. Meets real needs. Speak personally. Make real relationships. Shine powerfully. Manifesting the real God. Almost seems too simple. That's what God gives you. That's his calling for you and for us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I think most of us want to shine powerfully. Oh Lord, most of us would just rejoice to see the the light of Jesus shining through us and bouncing back off of other people that, that we would be like the sun and they're the moon. Lord, and some of us try and are discouraged. Other of us aren't trying, Lord, and we're distracted. Lord, would you work in our hearts? Would you shine from the depths within us in a real relationship with you, Lord? Would you revive our hearts that we would serve practically? Lord, we'd meet real needs. Thank you for the many ways we're doing this. Lord, I pray for those who are are on the edge of burnout, 
that you'd revive their hearts and renew their focus on you, that you'd give them encouragement, Lord. I pray for those who are serving in areas where they're not quite gifted, Lord, that you would give them opportunity to use their gifts. You'd bring other people alongside of them. Lord, I pray that you'd give us real relationships with the community around us, with one another in this building, in this community of faith, this church. I pray, Lord, that you would shine powerfully in it all that you might get the glory because you alone are worthy and you alone are the one to whom belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.